Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us today for our study of God's Word. And we are finishing up the book of Nehemiah. And, and I just want to tell you, after this, we've just it's just going to be an unbelievable next few weeks. And then we're eventually going to get into a new series. This is just going to be a crazy good month. And I encourage you to make it as much as possible. But Nehemiah, fulfilling your part in God's story. We're going to finish up uh, the series here uh, today and move in a different direction next Sunday. Now, uh, just to review... In 586 B.C., almost 2,600 years ago, uh, the Babylonians, what is today the nation of Iraq, uh, conquered the nation of Israel, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, tore down their defensive fortifications, and now it's 141 years later. For a century and a half, almost 141 years, almost a century and a half, it's just defenseless. And if a city back then, if you, if you didn't have walls up, if you didn't have defensive fortifications, you were just defenseless. You couldn't grow. You couldn't thrive uh, as, as a city. And so now it's 445 B.C., 141 years later, and God raised up a Nehemiah in order to fulfill his part in God's story. And everyone in this room is a Nehemiah. Each one of you have a Nehemiah assignment. Everybody in this room has a Nehemiah a part in God's story. And if you don't fulfill your part in God's story, the, the story he wants to tell uh, into all the universe to, for the time of history, uh, in this time of history, in this moment, will not be told. Everybody needs to, like Nehemiah, fulfill our part in God's story. Now, this chapter here is just my favorite leadership chapter. This this chapter is just so full of awesome stuff. And a month ago, we actually went through different parts of this chapter, talking about surviving a personal attack. And many people told me how that was, that was helpful to them. Well, now we're going to go back through it and emphasize different parts of the chapter and look at it through a new prism, and that is how to defeat discouragement. And I don't believe that you're here by accident this morning. I believe you're here by divine appointment. Because discouragement is Satan's favorite tool. You see, if he can't get you to do the wrong thing, he'll, dis he'll, get, he'll keep you discouraged from doing the right thing. Let me repeat that. I mean, Satan's goal is to get you to get up this morning and say, hey, I'm going to rob a liquor store. That sounds like a fun way to spend my Sunday, okay? That, that's his goal for you, all right? But if he can't accomplish that, and, and, and most of us, you know, as we've walked with the Lord, we're beyond the robbing liquor store stage, you know what I mean? Uh, Pastor Eric, on occasion, will revert to that, but not only when money's tight in their household. So at any rate, uh, you know, we don't go back to the robbing liquor store stage very often, all right. But, but what he will do is discourage us from doing the right thing. I mean, I'm, I'm looking across, you know, a group of people that are, like, not just ordinary Christians, you're Fourth of July weekend Christians, you're hardcore, man, okay? You're Christian Navy SEAL, Special Forces kind of people. And so he's, he's got you way beyond the robbing the liquor store stage, all right? What he's got you to, though, is you are here because you want to fulfill your part in God's story. So Satan's fallback plan is to discourage us to keep us from doing that. To get us so beaten up, so worn down, so discouraged that we can't fulfill our God, our part in God's story. So I believe that you are not here by accident or you're not watching online by accident. You've been invited here by divine appointment because God wants to encourage you so that you'll get back to fulfilling your part in God's story. Now first of all, let's look at some ways that we get discouraged. Uh, some of the reasons for our um, discouragement. Uh, the first one here is criticism. In Nehemiah 4, verses 1 through 5. Uh, it says in Nehemiah 4, verses 1 through 5, When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, 
he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Now hold it on that verse. Can we go back to that verse, verse 2, just for a moment? In the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. Don't you feel like criticism hurts worse when it's in front of other people? Did you find that? Okay, uh, criticism hurts. Don't get me wrong. A private letter of criticism could just ruin your day or ruin your week. An email, uh, a, a snide comment that somebody makes. But somehow doing it in front of other people, man, that's when it really, really hurts. Now we'll go on to verse 3. So he says in verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. Verse 4. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. When somebody criticizes you, you feel despised. It hurts at some deeper level. You feel despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Verse 5. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. They were discouraging the builders. Now, think about a presentation you made at school. Or uh, think about a presentation you made at work. And after it's over, ten people come up to you and say, that was great, good job, good job, good job. One person comes up and criticizes you for your presentation. What are you thinking about when you go to bed that night? Okay, what, what are you thinking about? You think about the one critical comment. I'm telling you. I can remember critical comments from 40 or 50 years ago, almost as if I just heard them. How many of you would identify with that? You can remember a critical, you forget the encouraging comments, but boy, those, those critical comments, uh, those are the things that you just remember. You know, I, I just got an awesome illustration here. This is like going to be one of my new favorite illustrations. You're going to hear it all the time, over and over again. But Brian Lothar, he's from our church family. He does uh, research for me, and he found this this past week. And I didn't think there was any other Abraham Lincoln uh, illustration you could have. I thought we had tapped that out. But, but here's a new one that I'd never heard. There was this PBS uh, special on the Library of Con Congress. And the guy that's the curator of the Library of Congress, uh, last name of Borston, uh, in the middle of this presentation, he pulls out a little blue box from a small closet that held some of the best rarities of the Library of Congress. And the label on it read, Contents of the President's Pockets on the Night of April 14th, 1865. It held in it what was in Abraham's pocket the night he was assassinated. Okay. Every viewer's attention was seized. He then proceeded to remove the items in the small container and display them on camera. Here, here are the five things that were in Abraham Lincoln's pocket the night he got assassinated. Number one, a handkerchief embroidered A. Lincoln. Number two, a country boy's penknife. Number three, a, speckles case, a, a spectacles case repaired with string. Now, I love this fourth one. A purse containing a $5 bill confederacy money that's awesome it's like yeah stick it to you i'm going to keep coming your fake money that uh, went totally bankrupt in my pocket and here's the last one some old and worn newspaper clippings the clippings said borstein were concerned with the great deeds of abraham lincoln and one of them actually reports a speech by john bright which says that abraham lincoln is one of the greatest men of all times today that's common knowledge 
The world now knows that British statesman John Bright was right in his assessment of Lincoln. But in 1865, millions shared quite a contrary opinion. Did you know that when he was assassinated, millions of people just thought Abraham Lincoln was like the biggest loser ever. The president's critics were fierce and many. His was a lonely agony that reflected the suffering and turmoil of his country ripped to shreds by hatred and a cruel, costly war. There is something touchingly pathetic in the mental picture of this great leader seeking solace and self-assurance from a few old newspaper clippings as he reads them under the flickering flame of a candle all alone in the Oval Office. Abraham Lincoln, considered one of the greatest men that ever lived, was so beaten down by criticism and opposition and discouragement that he kept in his pocket one little shred of encouragement that one journalist had said about him. And it wasn't even from our own country. It was from Great Britain. It, it took a foreigner to see what the treasure that we had right underneath our no noses. And he would read it just to remind himself, you know, this is a great thing for you to do. I have this, this file called Encouraging Notes. And I love any note of encouragement. But if I get a really good one, you know, sometimes you get a really good one that makes it into my encouraging notes file. And if I'm ever having a really rough time, I'll pull that thing out and, and, and read them. Two-thirds of them are from my mother, but, you know, uh, just, uh, no, that's, that's not true. But, you know, you just kind of go through and, and, and you just read them. And that's what he did. Because even a great leader like Abraham Lincoln just got beat down by discouragement. Now, it's not just your enemies and their criticism that will wear you out. Sometimes well-meaning friends, sometimes people that love you will stay still say things that will kill your dreams. Even people that love you, even well-meaning people that care for you will accidentally, inadvertently say things to you that will discourage you from fulfilling your part in, in God's story. Halfway syndrome. Now what happens here in verse 6? Look what happens because of the criticism. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height. For the people worked with all their heart, but then they get stalled. And I found, and I don't know if you find this true, but I found in my life that it's halfway through something when discouragement sets in. Uh, you're halfway through a project at work, and you get discouraged. Halfway through getting your degree at school, somewhere between your sophomore and junior year, discouragement sets in. You're halfway through recovering from an addiction. Discouragement sets in. You're halfway in rebuilding a broken relationship. That's when discouragement comes in. And so here, the, these defensive fortifications, they get them halfway up, and then the criticism and the other things we're going to see in just a second, they just weigh them down so much that it just sits there half done. And maybe why God invited you here this morning, it's still morning for a few more minutes, the reason he invited you here this morning is to say, you know what, you got to half build something in your life. You're, you're halfway through something. And God just invited you here just to, just to hear from God's word, let's finish this thing up. When I was a cross-country coach, um, when I was in seminary, I coached over at Gordon College. And it was a five-mile course. And I would plant myself right at the halfway point. Because I knew that's when my runners would be discouraged. I knew they wouldn't be discouraged at the beginning because they were fresh. They wouldn't be discouraged at the end because they could see the finish line. But I'd plant myself right around the two and a half or three mile mark. And that's when I would encourage them to keep on going, to push through. And that's why God called you here today. Because he wants you to push through getting stuck halfway through that thing that he's called you to do. Now the third thing is opposition. Opposition. 
uh, verses 7 through 9, chapter 4. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. When you start fulfilling your part in God's story, Satan's going to get angry and other people, you may find opposition, sometimes even from well-meaning people, verse 8. He goes on to say, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it, verse 9. But we prayed to our God, I love this, they depended on God, but they still posted a guard day and night to meet the threat. Isn't that good? They, they, they trusted in God, but they still said, you know what, there's, there's a part that we need to do as well. Now, first of all, you can, they just absorbed the hit. They, they took the hit. They just committed themselves to God, and they just kind of absorbed uh, the criticism and the opposition. I love this story. Former heavyweight boxer James Quick Tillis was a cowboy from Oklahoma who fought out of Chicago in the early 1980s, heavyweight boxer. Years later, he still remembers his first day in the Windy City in Chicago after his arrival from Tulsa. I got off the bus with two cardboard suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago and stopped in front of the Sears Tower, which is the tallest building in Chicago, or at least it was. I put my suitcases down and I looked up at the tower and I said to myself, I'm going to conquer Chicago. When I looked down, the suitcases were gone. Somebody stole them right there. And man, that's the way it is with your dreams. You know, like, I'm going to take this hill. And then, boom, something, something happens to you. And, you know, this is one of the reasons I just love our church. I love what we did last Sunday night in grabbing a hold of the future that God has in store for us with Fuller Theological Seminary right across the street to, to be in partnership, to train. The future leadership of the world is going to be trained right here on both sides of Holt Avenue. How crazy is that to think about? But I'm so proud because after 148 years, you know what happens to vision over time? Vision leaks. You, you begin to, your, your, pioneer, your pioneer vision just kind of um, leaks from stuff. Over time, we just don't, we just don't go after things uh, like we used to, like we used to uh, go after them. Um, I love this story. About 350 years ago, a shipload of travelers landed on the northeast coast of America. The first year, they established a town site. So this is talking about the pilgrims. So they come 350 years ago. The next year, they elected a town government. The third year, the town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. So get it? They, they come 3,000 miles across the ocean. They establish a beachhead uh, there in, in, uh, in, in Massachusetts area where you guys are going to go here in, in a few weeks, okay? Right there in Massachusetts. Uh, the third year, the town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the, into the wilderness. So they've just come 3,000 miles, and they're just proposing that they build a road five miles more. In the fourth year, the people tried to impeach their town government because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles westward into a wilderness. Who needed to go there anyway? Here were people who had the vision to see 3,000 miles across an ocean and overcome great obstacles to get there, but in just a few years, they were not able to see even five miles out of town. That's the way it is. Churches get fired up when they start. Uh, schools get fired up when they start. Organizations get fired up when they start. Movements get fired up when they start. But they had lost their pioneering vision. 
That's what happens to Christ's followers sometimes. We, we, we go, and as soon as we get opposition, we face opposition, we lose our pioneering vision. And, I, and I'm sorry to just keep talking about it, but that's what I love about Purpose Church. After 148 years, by the grace of God, we have not lost our pioneering vision. Anybody want to say amen to that? We still, we want to live like pioneers. We don't want to live like settlers. We get comfortable and say, you know, God has done enough here. This is enough. No, 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 no. We want to keep stirring our, our pioneering, pioneering vision. Pastor Eric's going to preach in a few weeks from Ephesus, the first of the churches of Revelation, about how they lost their first love. You want to keep rekindling your first love. You want to keep rekindling your pioneer pioneering vision even when you're halfway through now watch what happens here watch the the death spiral of a dream now this opposition and this criticism leads to loss of strength verse 10 uh, loss of strength meanwhile the people in judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out you know what happens when you start pursuing uh god's your part in god's story you just get tired after a while you just get worn out I'm telling you, um, I, I had the most fun, I've had about the most fun week in ministry I've ever had this last week, being a crew leader for, for kids camp for Vacation Bible School. But I'm telling you, about the second or third day, about the halfway mark, I was worn out. I'll tell you the good news and bad news. I'm going to use the, the second half of this, not the first half, as a recruiting device next week, <laughs> next year, next year. Bad news is... I was sitting on the floor with kids all day. I got the nastiest backache today. Oh, my goodness. But the good news is I lost two to three pounds last week. I'm telling you, nothing works for me. I just want you to know, nothing works for me. So if we just had kids camp, like, for the whole year, I might just be in good shape by the end of it. So, so at any rate, you just get tired. And then that leads to number five, loss of vision. Let's go back to the second half of that verse. So the second half of the verse says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Rubble. There's so much rubble that they lost their vision. You ever do that? You say, this is the Saturday I'm going to clean this closet. And you open the door, and there's so much rubble that you close the door. <laughs> and then you go back to watching the World Cup once again, man, yeah. You throw up the, open the garage. This is the, this is the Saturday. I'm going to clean the garage. You throw it up, and there's the rubble. So you close it down, and, and, and you go back to do something else. Now, forgive me. I've, I've told this story like a million times, but it just fits this point so perfectly. Please forgive me. Um, um, you know, ooh and ah, as if you've never heard it before. Just pretend. And if you are new, th then I'm glad this one's for you right now. Okay. <laughs> This guy, you know, I've told the story a hundred times, you know, how the guy's um, got a parakeet, and he lets his parakeet out for exercise every once in a while out of his cage. So the parakeet's hopping around, and he's vacuuming, and he's vacuuming the floor, and he goes over too near the parakeet, sucks the parakeet, parakeet right up into the vacuum cleaner, it opens it up frantically. There's a little bird in there quivering. He pulls it out, douses it with ice cold water to revive it. Then he blasts it with hot air from a hair dryer to, to dry it off. So this poor little bird, in a matter of seconds, goes from being sucked into a vacuum cleaner to being doused with ice cold water to being blasted with hot air all in a few seconds. Okay. And his friend asked him a few days later, he said, hey, he'd heard about the story. And he goes, how's your parakeet doing anyway? 
And I love this line. He goes, how's your parakeet doing? He goes, well, he survived, but he doesn't sing much anymore. Okay? That's the right response right there. Oh, yeah. He survived, but he doesn't sing much anymore. And, and why I like to use that story is it just describes a lot of us in our walk with Jesus. We survived the breakup with the girlfriend or boyfriend that we thought was the love of our life. We survived it, but we don't sing much anymore. Survived the divorce, got through it, but we lost our song in the process. We survived the cancer diagnosis, the bout of chemo. We survived it, but we, we don't sing much anymore. Um, we survived having to drop out of school or getting laid off at work or getting fired. We, we, we survived it, but we lost our song in the process. And the reason you're here this morning is God wants you to give you your song back again. He says, hey, I know you're stuck halfway through through this thing. But he said, I, I know it's hard, but I want you to get your song back. So this, this spiral from criticism and, and opposition leads to a, a spiral. They lose their strength. They lose their vision. Now loss of confidence. Look at verse 11. It says, verse, and our enemy said, before you know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. And they lose their confidence. You know, you get shook up sometimes by some opposition, some defeat, some criticism. And you begin to question yourself, am I really called to do this thing? And then negative thinking comes in, even from people that should be your friends. It says here in verse 12, then the Jews. So these are fellow Jews. These are, should be their friends. These are the people close to them who lived near them, came and told us not once, not twice, but ten times over. It's actually a Hebrew idiom, which means over and over again. Wherever you turn, they will attack us. And this, this defensive fortifications around this restoration of the city of Jerusalem, it would have sat there half done, except for somebody named Nehemiah. And you're that person today. Maybe this message is for you to get your song back and to move through the, the halfway syndrome. Or maybe God's giving you this because you're going to run into somebody this week. The Holy Spirit's going to orchestrate an interchange with somebody else that needs what you've learned today. You need to be a Nehemiah for them. Or you know what most likely will happen? It's for you and for that person as well. That's what I find. Okay, it's for you to encourage you, but then it's also for you to share with somebody else in order to um, encourage them. So, with the time that we have left, what steps can we take to defeat discouragement? Look at what Nehemiah does here. Number one, Nehemiah united the people around the same purpose or vision, okay? Got them back around the same purpose or vision. Verse 13, therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places Posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. I, I like that. You know what you find in community with other Christ followers? You get your vision rekindled. You get your purpose. That's why one of our core values is we're better together. We're more effective together, but we get encouraged. You know what happens when one ember gets away from the rest of the fire? It goes out. But if you stick it back in the fire again, it gets refired up once again. And now maybe another ember grows out, and that ember that just got refired 
rekindles the other ember. And that's why we need each other in community, when we're in community. So Nehemiah very wisely puts them by family units because he knows that family units, groups, small groups, life groups, we rekindle our fire with each other. That's why we've got to go through this together to keep giving each other, rekindling our purpose and our vision. Ecclesiastes 5 uh, Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 says if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened more strength is needed but skill will bring success my dad was a forester and so growing up his idea of a whooping good time on a Saturday was spending the whole day trimming trees that's what he thought was a good time I always looked at everybody else's families that did fun things on Saturday and I thought Lord why why you know no I had an awesome dad awesome dad but his idea of a good day was logging or, or trimming trees in the Virginia heat, you know, all day long. And he gave me this axe, and, and I was the type that never wanted to stop to sharpen my axe. You might say I wasn't the sharpest axe around, is what you might say. And so, so I would never want to stop. I was just, as a young kid, I just wanted to keep, you know, cutting and never start. But here Solomon says, you got to stop sometimes and resharpen your axe. Um, you know, you, you, you got to you got to sometimes remind yourself of why we do the thing that we're doing, to rekindle the purpose, to rekindle uh, the vision. When Epcot Center was finished in 1982, Epcot Center, this is Disney World, not Disneyland like we have at home, but this is Disney World with the Epcot Center. Anybody been there to the Florida one? Okay, very, very cool, very cool. When we were in the East Coast, that, that was what we had down there in Florida, and now we came here and we got like so many other things that we didn't have back then. But when Epcot Center was finished in 1982, Walt Disney had already passed away. Okay, so he had already died, so he didn't get to see the completion of it. Disney executives asked Walt's wife to cut the ribbon at the opening ceremony. When she was called up to the podium, one of the executives said to her, Mrs. Disney, I wish Walt could have seen this. She replied, he did. You see, he had it in his mind. He, he had the vision of the Epcot Center and Disney World and all that. It was in his mind. He did see it. It's just that he had to encourage others to see it and to complete it as well. And so Nehemiah, he had in his mind the completion of the wall, the restoration of the city of Jerusalem. He, he could see it. He just had to remind himself of it and remind other people to, to unite them around the same purpose and the vision once again. But that was Colonel Chamberlain giving a speech to his regiment before the Battle of Gettysburg. And you know, there was one point in that battle, if you go to that spot, where only about 30 or 40 men stood between the entire Confederate Army and Washington, D.C. They had flanked the Union Army. And there was nothing between defeat and Washington, D.C., and the whole Confederate army, but about 30 or 40 people. And they held the day, holding the line until reinforcements could come. And then the rest is history, how it turned around. And so sometimes we just got to remember why we're doing something. We are an army. Purpose Church is an army out to set other men and women and boys and girls free. That's why we're here. We're an army out to set others free from the bondage and punishment of sin and into eternity and victory in Jesus Christ. Number two, he directed their attention from their problems to the Lord. 
uh, verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember who it is that's fighting for you and what you're fighting for. And fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Let's hold that up there for just a second. That's what we're fighting for here at Purpose Church. We are fighting for our families in a culture that wants to devour and take our families. We're fighting for our sons and our daughters. We're fighting for our wives and our homes in this culture that seeks to devour people following after Christ. We, we remind ourselves of what we're here for. We're an army out to set other people free and to keep ourselves spiritually free and our children and our grandchildren, everyone everywhere uh, following Jesus. He directed their pro attention from their problems uh, to the Lord. Isaiah 40 verse 12 is just a reminder of who it is that marches with us. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? If you are discouraged here today, remember that's who holds your hands. That's who marches with you into battle. Number three, he encouraged them to keep their balance. I don't know about you, but when I get discouraged, I get imbalanced. I watch too much TV. Or maybe for you, you play too many video games. Um, or you go to one extreme or the other. Sometimes when I'm discouraged or depressed, I either sleep too much or I sleep too little. I either work too much or I work too little. And, and, and so um, some of the people said, hey, we, we need to just get back to the work and just trust God. And the other said, forget the work, let's go fight him. And so here's how he keeps balance in verses 15 through 18. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. But notice the balance. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah, verse 17, who were rebuilding the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and had a weapon in the other. Verse 18, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Which leads us to number four, he gave them a plan for their defense. Verse 19, then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive, and it's spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Verse 20, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there, and our God will fight for us. When we go through hard times, we need to sound the trumpet. So many times we're tempted to say, you know what, I'm going to play this game. If I'm going through a hard time, my friends ought to just figure it out. Or my husband or wife. How many of you play this game in marriage? The you ought to just know game. You ever play that in marriage? We don't, we don't either, but I just have heard that theoretically people do. You know, where it's like, Kimberly should just know what I'm going through right now. And then I get resentful of her if she doesn't figure it out. Or she'll say, Glenn, should just know what I'm going through right now. No, sound the trumpet. If you're discouraged, sound the trumpet. In your small group, in your life group, sound the trumpet. With your fellow people that you're serving in children's ministry with, sound the trumpet. If you're serving in the homeless ministry, or if you're teaching kids after school, or, or tutoring kids in our neighborhood, whatever it is, if you're discouraged, sound the trumpet and, and, and we and your, your friends and people around you 
will rush to you and then the Lord, the Lord will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. And you know what? I want to skip number five because I want to go to the, straight to the last passage leading into our closing worship. Remember, let's go back to verse 20. Could we go back to verse 20 again? Our God will fight for us. Would you say that out loud with me together? Our God will fight for us. One more time. Our God will fight for us. Now I'm going to have the band come back up right now. And we're going to close with my new favorite song. Last week it was a different song, but this week it's a new favorite song. Last week my favorite song that we closed with was Do It Again, Lord. Do it again, do it again, do it again. And this is a song I've just hung on to for the last month. I love this song. This is how I fight my battles. I may think it's, it's two lines. There's only two lines in it, and they get repeated over and over again. As long as Samantha thinks we should repeat them, they will be repeated, okay? So, um, you know, she'll, she'll probably repeat them a dozen. If Jarrett were here, he'd probably do two dozen. So we're, we're probably all blessed that it's Samantha here today. Uh, just kidding. Um, um, it just goes over and over and over again. Um, and I love it. it just, you get to a point where you just believe it when you say it over and over again. This is how I fight my battles. I may think that I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This morning, you may have walked in here thinking that you're surrounded. But you are actually surrounded, not by your troubles or your problems, but by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm sure the passage that was, this song was based on, Michael W. Smith, an old guy, wrote, this is why I like the song, an old guy like me wrote this song. And it's the hip young song that's on the radio all the time, Bethel Worship and everything. It's the, it's, the, it's, the hip, it's the hip new song, you know, but written by an old guy. This is how I fight my battles. I may think that I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. 2 Kings 6, verses 15 through 17. Look at this story. When the servant of the man of God, this is the story of Elisha was the man of God here. When his servant got up in the morning and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots, had surrounded the city. He's like, oh no, we're surrounded, we're surrounded. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do, the servant asked. Verse 16, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That's the message God wants to give you right now. You, you may be discouraged, you may think that you're surrounded, but those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then verse 17. And Elisha prayed. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And this is what I want you to finish with. This is what I want us to remember as, as, as we're done here today. You may think that you're surrounded, but you're surrounded by the great God of the universe, who is your defender, your friend, and, and be encouraged as you leave here in a few minutes. Be encouraged. You may think that you're surrounded, but you're surrounded by him. And this is how we fight our battles. And all God's family said, Amen. Let's stand up together and let's sing it. You'll pick it up real fast. <laughs>